Hey guys, this is Mike Mahaffey, the old bastard BJJ guy, here for BJJ Mental Models. Back in my day, we had to walk uphill in the snow both ways to get to the academy just to learn some crappy technique from a random purple belt. You kids have it so easy, because now you can just subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium and get tons of great audio courses to learn new techniques, enhance your mindset, and entertain yourself. You can even get personalized rolling reviews from some of your favorite BJJ Mental Models coaches, including me. It's like having your own seminar, you spoiled little whippersnappers. So what are you waiting for? Subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium right now, get off my lawn, and go train. Hey, welcome to BJJ Mental Models, episode 29. I'm Steve Kwan. I'm Matt Kwan. BJJ Mental Models is your guide to a conceptual and intelligent BJJ approach. Matt, Hello, everyone. <laughs> we just had a gigantic dinner. How are you feeling, Matt? Really good. Man, our mom can cook. Yeah. That's where I get it from. Yeah, we um, we record usually at our folks' house. Reason being because both Matt and I have kids. It's hard to actually get enough peace and quiet that you can record a podcast. There's always so much noise going on in the background when you've got little ones. So the only situation we've been able to find is we go to our folks' house. We let grandma take care of the kid. And then we sneak up into a room that's far away and we try to record this thing. So by the way, if you ever hear like random <laughs> screaming on the podcast, podcast that's or garage not, doors yeah open. yeah that's not someone we've kidnapped that's just the kids we try to keep the audio uh, relatively clean but hopefully there's no distractions yeah we're actually recording in a room that gets about 100 degrees by the end of the podcast we're sweating profusely and it's uh, actually a room that both steve and i both uh, grew up sleeping in so yeah in the same bed at the same time yeah yeah. Okay. Not, not that part is maybe not true, uh, but yeah, it's a, at it's a, times. <laughs> yeah. It's one of the uh, now it's a guest bedroom here, and it gets pretty toasty in it, here. It's so. actually a sewing room. There's a sewing machine here, and yeah. Yeah, fu- funny story. I mean, this I remember. This used to be my bedroom, and you know, you hear these stories about how when you move out of your parents' house, they some parents will preserve the bedroom exactly the way that the kid <laughs> left it. I came back <laughs> a week after I moved out, and my parents had already ripped out and thrown out all my. <laughs> stuff and renovated the bedroom and like everything was gone there was no trace that they ever had a firstborn son it was ridiculous yeah it's like it's like a nazi germany trying <laughs> yeah. to remove all evidence yeah, it's like, as soon as it's like they basically like yeah it's like just there was not just a shred of evidence that i ever existed yeah. I don't blame them. Yeah, no, it was completely understandable. Uh, Anyway, (laughs) so today we're going to be talking about the elbow-knee connection. We discussed this mental model a while back in the guard series. It's a really powerful way to keep your structure and deny your opponent the ability to get control on you. It's especially important when you're playing on defense, but it's actually very, very effective from offense as well. Now, I thought it would be good to do a full episode on this mental model because even though we've discussed it before, and actually we did discuss it in depth, it's the kind of thing that you almost don't really believe how effective it is until you really truly understand it and apply it to your game. I'm sure a lot of people hear this and they think, okay, it makes sense. Put your elbow and your knee together. You you know, yeah, I can do that. But if you actually really think about it and think about how it impacts almost every situation in jujitsu, you realize that this little thing is kind of like a, a major hack you can do that will improve your game almost overnight. When I started really applying this and thinking about how it mattered uh, and where I could actually use this to find fine-tune some of the movements I was doing, it made a gigantic difference. 
Yeah, it's it's pretty interesting how the the knee elbow connection applies in so many scenarios. Whether you're on top, you're on bottom, you're applying submission holds. Hopefully, Steve and I can discuss some of the situations where this might become more useful. And and really, what it all comes down to is creating better structure. And structure, of course, being one of the key uh, building blocks that makes up alignment. Please refer to our first episode on alignment. Steve and I were just talking about maybe doing a, an episode 2.0 on alignment because it's so important. And uh, yeah, just creating that knee elbow connection works in so many different ways. Yeah, yeah. So to get this going, I've been thinking about how to discuss this topic for a while. And I think what I'd like to do is try to walk through from my mind, like how, how to deductively prove that this actually makes sense. Because I think in order to really understand why the elbow-knee connection is so powerful, you've got to kind of reason your way right through the whole situation. So, here, I mean, here's how I think about this. You know, as Matt mentioned, we did a our very first episode on alignment. And it, in my mind and in your mind, and I know in Professor Rob's mind, alignment is really the, the focus of jiu-jitsu. Like, if you were to try to describe jiu-jitsu and what it is in one sentence, you could say it is a game of alignment, right? The goal is to keep your own alignment while breaking your opponent's alignment. Yeah. And then he would say while using frames and levers. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, and when we say alignment, again, if you missed the first episode, we alignment is broken up into three parts. There's posture, which means I can use my spine effectively. There's structure, which means I can use my limbs effectively. And then there's base, which basically means I can absorb and create force. Uh, often this means by, you know, driving and planting off of your feet, but not always. It can also be off of your shoulders, off of your hands. Basically, it means that you have the ability to absorb, redirect, and create force. You've got to have all three of those things while taking them away from your opponent, right? So, well, well put the... I appreciate it. <laughs> so, that's really what jujitsu is. Now, the question then is like, okay, how do you do this? How do you actually muck with someone's alignment? We know that that's what we're trying to do. What do you do? Now, that's where the levers things comes into play. So one of the core mechanics of jujitsu is using levers. A lever is uh, basically, you know, you've got a core and you have uh, two arms, two legs and a head in most situations. Well, I think, I, think, I think everyone has a head. Sometimes you don't have a head. <laughs> yeah. But, but generally speaking, you know, you've got, you have those kind of six major parts of your body. You cannot really attack someone's core effectively. That is the source of your power. That's the source of your gravity. Yeah. It's very hard to just like body lock someone and throw them through the air unless you're Brock Lesnar, right? For most of us, if you're going to exploit someone's body, you've got to grab one of their limbs or you've got to grab their head and you've got to create enough pressure that you can basically off balance the rest of them. So, so that's kind of the hierarchy of the body. If you want to break someone's alignment, you need to get one of those handles, one of those levers, and you use that to break the person's alignment. Now, if you want to attack the head, that's a completely different kind of set of topics to discuss. That doesn't really fall so much into the elbow-knee connection. But, man, the head is one of the most powerful levers if you can grab it, right? Absolutely. If you, if you can grab your opponent's head, that kind of breaks down almost anything that they can do. It puts them on, like, the defense immediately. Yeah, so the head is basically a lever to the spine. Yeah, right? yeah. It's an immediate posture break, right? Um, but the more likely situation is you're probably going to have to deal with the person's arms and legs first. Now... If you think about what makes your arms and legs unique, it's that we have three joints in our arms and three joints in our legs, right? We've got, and in the case of our arms, we have our shoulder, we have our elbow, and we've got our hand. And in the case of our knee, we've got our hip, we've got our knee, and we've got our ankle. 
And we use all of these joints in, in tandem. Like what the human body is actually capable of is incredible when you think of it. You know, someone can walk up behind you and push you and you don't even know you're there. And your body immediately knows how to counterbalance and move all of those joints so that you don't fall over onto your face, right? It's really an incredible thing that the human body can do this without thinking. Like if you look at what they're trying to do with robotics right now, only now in this year are they starting to finally sort of figure out how to make robots that don't just like collapse when they fall over. You know, it's it's very impressive that the human body can pu- absorb and push pull in so many different directions. Yeah, they're they're getting really good at, at developing ways to make things that will kill us. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, yeah, man. As soon as, as soon as they've got robots that can make have a strong elbow knee connection, we're oh, really God. screwed. Yeah. So, but my point my point Ugh. here is though that the human body is very good at maintaining its own balance. Balance and its own alignment. And you've probably noticed this if you sparred for any length of time. Like if you go to push someone or pull on their arm, their whole body instinctively knows how to adjust to that even if they haven't trained a day in their life. Um, and that's because the arms and legs, because we've got these three joints, it means that there's a tremendous amount of flexibility and give to those joints. Matt, you talked about this back, I think, in the first episode, where we, or maybe it was the, the braking mechanics one. You talked about how if you want to armbar someone or leg lock someone, it's not sufficient to just lock one of those joints because the body can <coughs> adapt and the pressure can bleed into the other joints. That's right. You need to lock all of those joints so that the, there's no give. That's really what you're trying to do. So... If you think about, like, let's say you were to try to arm drag someone. If I grab Matt by his wrist and I try to pull him or, or contort him, I'm not going to get a lot of control with just his wrist. I've got to have at least two of those three joints under his my control. If I have just his wrist, he still has so much motion. Yeah. But if I have control of his wrist and his elbow, now I can start to apply real force that forces his body to move. And of course, if you can lock all three joints, you have a submission, basically, right? If I can, if I can get you into a position where you cannot move your shoulder, your elbow, or your wrist, you're basically in a submission. There's really no way for you to escape at that point. Like a Kimura, basically. Exactly. Or an arm bar. If you think about any kind of limb lock, any kind of like joint lock, there's, in all of those cases, you must control all three of those joints. So my point here is, in order to really get a strong lever, you've got to control at least two out of three joints. That's why the elbow knee connection is powerful, because if I stick my arm out into your face, you can control my wrist and my elbow really easy. You'll just arm drag me immediately. But if I keep my elbows tucked and I, or I keep my knees tucked in the case of like me playing in an open guard or something, then you're not going to be able to get control of those two joints. You can get maybe the, the final joint. You can grab my ankle maybe, or you can grab my wrist. But unless you can get two of those three joints, you're just not going to be able to effectively arm drag me or leg drag me. So yeah. the reason why this matters is because if you can maintain that connection, you never give people control out of two of the three joints, and they're just not going to be able to break your shield, break your frame. They're not going to be able to get good lever control. Exactly. Yeah. Well, when it, basically the theme that runs through no matter what position you're in, when you create the uh, the knee elbow connection, is you deny your opponent access to a lever and you uh, you maintain the integrity of a frame. So if you're in the open guard with just you know one hand up and you connect your knee to your elbow. Elbow in the seated guard position, it's, uh, that arm, even though it's it is sticking out, because you're creating the knee elbow connection, it it makes it almost impossible to flying arm bar that person or to to do a kimura trap because you are joining your your uh, you know the middle joints, the knee and the elbow. So essentially, the knee and elbow will help you keep 
uh, the integrity of a frame and deny your opponent access to a lever. Yeah, that you know, it's people always worry about, oh, if I stick my hand out, he can wrist lock me. But, you know, the thing is, if the person only ever has the end joint and they cannot control the middle joint... There's meaning, no wrist yeah, lock. Yeah, like if they, if they can grab your wrist but they can't get your elbow, there's really no wrist lock. Or similarly, if they can grab your foot but they can't get control of your knee or your hip, there's really no ankle lock or leg lock, right? It's So that, that's something that's important to understand about the elbow-knee mm. connection is it completely prevents your opponent from getting control of a limb. And if that's if they can't get control of a limb, they can't break your alignment, which means that eventually, as long as you are generally safe and conservative and you're playing a good game, you'll probably win. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just just like an arm bar, we've used this analogy before. Using an arm bar where you're literally just using your arms to finish the arm bar, yeah. but your legs are limp. There's going to be no breaking power. The shoulder of your opponent's going to be mobile. So you know, as as Danaher would say, we need to create wedges around the end of the lever so that we can immobilize the end of the lever. That's going to allow us to create the breaking pr- uh, power that goes into the fulcrum point. In this case, the elbow. I get what you're saying, but that didn't sound like Danaher. I know. I was. I... <laughs> Uh, maybe we'll bring him out some other time. Okay, okay. Yeah, you Let's can't stay o- on track here. You can't overuse him. You know, we don't want to get into legal trouble or something, right? D- Danaher, like Scotch, is best enjoyed in, like, you know, small, <laughs> enjoyable, manageable doses. Oh, so um, I, I hope that this is a helpful way of kind of explaining why this is important. Uh, I, you know, interestingly, we talked earlier in a prior episode, we, we talked about first principles thinking, which is where you like start from the most basic fundamental truth and then you build up an idea around that. And that's kind of what we just did. You know, we started by talking about alignment and we just reasoned exactly why this elbow knee connection works. So I, I hope everyone is a believer now that this is something that you should really focus your time on. The other advantage to the elbow-knee connection, especially if you're on the defense, is it denies access to your stomach. You know, we, we talked about this earlier. If if someone is trying to take a dominant position on you, like side control or knee on belly or mount, basically what they're trying to do is cut your body in half. They're trying to make sure that you're, you're like a pizza, you're split down the middle and your arms are on one side and your legs are on the other side. And the only way they can ever do that is if they can get at your stomach. And if you just never give up that elbow knee connection, they, they can't get to your stomach. So even if somehow they do manage to walk around your guard and try to sit on you, they're basically just going to be sitting on top of your knees and your elbows. And eventually you'll be able to get out, right? Yeah. And when you do create that knee elbow connection, um, <clears throat> an analogy I sort of use for people that are newer to the concept is uh, I think about like a, like a race car or a, like a dune buggy that has that roll bar on top of it uh, in case the car flips over and, and it, it, it provides safety for the person inside. It's the exact same thing. When you connect your knees and elbows, you create almost like a force field or a roll bar and uh, you can you can support a shocking amount of weight when you do this as opposed mm-hmm. to just, say, framing with your hands in a, in, a, in a bench press movement, which would be, you know, it could be dangerous for your wrists. It can also, it's also going to be a frame that's easily redirected, but the knee elbow connection is, uh, it's reliable and solid and, and definitely you can support more weight than you normally would be able to bench press. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, uh, let's maybe go through some examples of how this is effective. You know, the, normally when we talk about the elbow knee connection, we're talking about how you use this to retain your guard. So, uh, you know, visualize a situation where your opponent is about to pass your guard. Usually, from open guard where they're standing up and they're trying to get around you the mistake that a lot of people make is they try to extend their hands you know to kind of like push on the opponent's hips or something and they're giving try to, you a lever yeah they try they try you know you try to straight arm the guy that is 
in most cases, not advisable. Now, I don't want to say never, because there are cases where you can get away with it. Like, if you've got a good collar <laughs> grip on the guy, and yes. and the angle's okay, and you can manage that. You know, we talked about force vectors. If you can hit that incoming force vector exactly, you might be able to support your opponent a bit. But generally speaking, when your opponent is trying to pass your guard, and they're trying to fall down on top of you and put their weight on you, if you stick your arm out straight, number one, it gives them a lever they can grab, and number two, it gives... It increases the chance of injury because you're, if your opponent does a quick hip switch or something, they could break your wrist, they could break your elbow, and the risk of this only goes up, of course, if your opponent is much heavier than you. So, although you can straight arm in some situations, generally speaking, I personally prefer to, like, if my opponent is passing, I try to go for that knee elbow connection right away. Yeah, like, if you, th- if you think about it, if you're framing with your hand is straight arming, the surface area of your frame is literally the palm of your hand mm-hmm. from your from your from your wrist to your fingertips whereas if you create a knee elbow connection the the surface area is essentially from one of your foot one of your feet all the way up your shin to your knee to your elbow and all the way to the, to your other hand so you have a considerably larger stronger more reliable frame when you create the knee elbow and you use your uh you use your forearm and your shin can uh connectively as as opposed to just using your your hand now there are like steve said there are times when just framing with your hand actually makes sense for example like um like if you're going to do a hip escape uh pushing away on the opponent's uh arm as a lever or shoulder and then uh, hip escaping back to guard or if you're going to use like a collar drag situation or even a sleeve grip and then coming up uh, coming up and retaining your guard from a seated position there are exceptions to the rule but as a as a general you know when we're looking at this in the bigger picture you want to have a frame that has a larger surface area one that is um, stronger and can support more weight and if my opponent switches my hip it's not going to make a it's not going to leave me at risk to injury yeah and uh you know a big thing that you brought up there in those exceptions that you highlighted the commonality behind them all was those were situations you described where you had the dominant grip i mean if the guy's trying to pass your guard but you have the dominant grip on his sleeve or on his collar or something like that then maybe you can get away with straight arming but if you're just sticking your hand out and you're trying to push against his chest or his hip that tends to be much weaker and the risk of injury is higher and also in those scenarios that i mentioned um those are all situations where you basically can't be on your back you have to get up in base and and they the the success of the movement relies on you being able to post your other hand on the mat and moving your hips so you know if you're if you're not in base if you're literally on your back framing and you're just using your hands uh those are not effective grips but if you get up in base and you can move your hips effectively, then that's when I would use those scenarios. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, the thing about the elbow-knee connection is normally you do this when you realize your opponent is about to drop their weight on you and you know you can't bench press them from there. So you've got to create that strong elbow-knee structure to support that weight that's going to come in. Whereas if you're like beside the guy or you're able to hip out and he's not able to really land on you, then you might be safer trying to grab onto him and pushing away with an arm extended. Another thing to point out when it comes to the risks of extending your arms out or your legs out if you're trying to push off someone is a frame is stronger if it has fewer joints or points of weakness, right? If I straight arm mat, the problem with that frame, in addition to the fact that there's not much surface area, the problem to that frame is that frame has an elbow in the middle of it, right? And that's a joint that can fail me if he puts too much weight on it or if he moves in a bad angle. Whereas if I put my elbow to my knee together and he tries to land on me then and my that elbow knee connection supporting him, I don't have to 
to worry about my elbow bending backwards yeah. or my knee bending backwards. He's just going to land on solid bone and I can deal with that, right? Yeah. So it's a much safer and more sound strategy when it comes to creating a frame and blocking a pass. Yeah, it's a, it's a frame that relies on skeletal alignment and not strength or muscular strength uh, muscular strength like a bench press so it's definitely you know and i that's basically what i mean when i say sustainable or reliable yeah yeah and i one thing that is interesting about if you if you want to play this game where you use an elbow knee connection a lot uh, one thing that it took me a while to get my head around is you know by by default it, when you have an elbow knee connection you you have to be very careful in terms of how you plan to advance the position because a lot of the time you get this elbow knee connection and you're defending and you're defending but you get impatient or you start to panic a bit and your natural reaction is going to be to try to extend an arm or a leg and, and tie the guy up like I, I used to try to do this where I would get an elbow knee connection while the guy was trying to pass and I would then like shoot my leg out and try to catch him in a half guard giving up your elbow knee connection exactly and sometimes it would work but the main problem is if you stick out an arm or a leg you give up that connection so so you're kind of rolling the dice at that point and a lot of the time people will just smash you so if you when you do have this elbow knee connection and the guy on top is really trying to pressure you you kind of have to get comfortable with the fact that you might get bounced around a bit like a beach ball right because you can't just reach out and like grab onto the guy you can, you can never extend your arm or leg out without breaking that connection so you kind of have to like gradually somehow connect with the guy and then sort of scooch yourself in underneath him yeah. i don't really know how to describe it in an angle yeah, it's like, so rather than like, you know, trying to kick your leg out or kick your arm out and grab onto something, you need to just kind of scoot your, you know, use your foot, your instep or your hand to hook onto the person and then just kind of gradually scoot your own body closer and closer and closer to them. What are you describing like... Um kind of like the dog fight position because that's what it's it sounds like you're describing a half guard position in the knee shield and then deciding to shoot through and come up with the underhook is that sort of what you're kind, talking kind about? of although in that in that position you can you can switch the dominant angle and once you've done that you're not at so much of a risk when it comes to maintaining the elbow knee i'm talking more about like uh, a move that i play a lot is when a guy's standing on top of me i try to get underneath him into x guard oh, and yeah. if the guy is trying to like pressure past me i don't want to reach out and try and grab his leg or, or try and pull him on top of me and break that elbow knee connection. I need to keep that the whole time because then he can't pass. So what I'll do is I'll use my feet and my hands to kind of probe him and I'll try to like hook my instep on him and gradually pull myself just bit by bit underneath him and then eventually I can get up into the position that I want. But the, the important thing is you have to get comfortable and patient uh, and know that as soon as you reach an arm or leg out you're going to lose that elbow knee connection so you want to maintain that connection for as long as possible so that you can keep your defense and block the pass. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I, I think that's probably the most common situation when you're talking about the elbow knee connection, but it's, it's certainly not the only one, right? You know, we've talked here about how you use this to prevent a pass, but if you, if you do get passed and your opponent is on side control or if they, they mount you or take knee on belly, one of the easiest ways to regard is to just get your elbow and your knee together. Because by definition, if you can get your elbow and your knee together, then your opponent cannot put their weight on your stomach. And if they can't do that, then they're not passed. They haven't passed you, right? So the, the mistake I used to make a lot is I would try to, you know, like power out of these positions or go for crazy big athletic things. Yeah. But I, I found that 
you know, as I as I get older and I focus more on energy conservation and being efficient and things that work against bigger people, if I just kind of gradually keep my movement and focus on trying to get my elbows and my knees back together, you have to be patient, but it's a much, much safer and low risk way to get out of these bad positions. Yeah. And efficient as well. Exactly. So like the example I give to a lot of people is, you know, if when you are, when you start teaching jujitsu, the, the first things they teach you about mount escapes or they are usually in most gyms is they'll say, oh, you just want to do a big bridge and, you know, do like a big upa, or you want to do like a big elbow knee escape. But in reality, those big motions often don't work that well against no. good guys. They actually just create openings. The better thing to do is just keep wiggling and keep those micro transitions up and just try and get your elbows and your knees together. Because if you can scoot your bottom leg un under your opponent can and connect your elbow to your knee, there's no more mount. It's actually a much simpler <laughs> way of thinking about how to get out a mount than trying to do some big explosive motion that will probably just put you at risk. Yeah. And, and just by connecting your knee and elbow, you're, you're creating alignment, right? This yeah. is everything that this comes down to. Why is it good to create knee elbow connection? It, it all comes back to alignment, right? Anytime you generate more alignment, your movements, you've become basically safer and stronger, right? Yeah. So that's, that's the reoccurring theme in all of, all of this conceptual jujitsu stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And the elbow knee connection is also an example of what we've, we've called a kinetic chain. You know, basically when you've got two things that connect together, it creates a stronger structure than if they were separate. You know, think about how easy it is to grab someone's arm and pull on it. But if they clasp their hands together, it makes a much stronger frame and it makes a much stronger structure. And it's the same with the elbow knee, right? If you can get your elbows and your knees together, it's much harder for your opponent to grab one of your limbs and pull you around. Mm -hmm. So it's it's a very, very strong way to defend a lot of these positions. And my, my suggestion is for people who are struggling with getting out of side control or getting out of neon belly or getting out of mount you know everyone wants to have some you know like money in the bank perfect escape and everyone just thinks oh if i just had a good enough escape or if i just knew enough moves enough escapes i could get out of these positions but that's really not a feasible and sustainable way of training the better thing to do is understand when you're in these positions all you have to do is number one, keep moving, being, be a shifting platform so your opponent cannot settle their weight on you. Just don't stop moving. You don't have to be explosive. Just don't stop moving. You don't want your opponent to settle on you like concrete. And then the second thing is get your elbow and your knee together. Because by definition, if you can connect your elbow and your knee, your opponent is not in mount. They're not in side control. They're, you know, they haven't passed your guard. So that's, that's really from my perspective, the strongest way to think about escaping bad positions. Yeah. And, and to sum it up, what Steve's talking about is concepts over and concepts and principles over moves. Yeah. And uh, if you're at a school where, you know, a belt test requires you to know a certain number of moves, you should rethink how I'm not saying that you're at the wrong school or you shouldn't train there, but you should definitely open your mind to other learning um learning styles like i'm not saying that what we're doing is the best but i truly think that this is one of the better ways to learn jujitsu is the conceptual alignment approach if you're learning in moves then um you know you're going to be waiting for certain moves to to be available to you and you're not really going to know how to how to keep your body in in uh, the the most optimal position that it can be in so definitely if that's what you're you know if you're at a place where it takes a certain amount of moves to get to blue belt a certain amount of moves to get purple belt 
you should definitely try and think outside the box and, and just sort of, you know, try and break your ideas a little bit. Yeah, and I would argue that's actually one of the most effective ways to learn not just jujitsu, but almost anything. You know, this as I've as I've kind of gotten older, you know, these days now I don't really do anything unless someone can explain to me why it needs to be done. You know, it's this is something that I, I kind of learned a long time ago, especially on the job is, you know, a lot of the time people will tell you what needs to be done, but that doesn't mean they're right. Or do, if they are right, it doesn't mean it's the best way. Uh, you should always make sure you understand why you're being asked to do the things that you do. Now, to some extent, yeah, at the end of the day, all of this stuff is going to manifest through moves and techniques. Yeah. And you, you do, do need yeah, to know moves. You do need to know moves and you do need to know techniques. Like there, there's, a, you kind of need to attack this from both ends, but yeah. But the, what you don't want to do is be someone who just tries to rote memorize hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of techniques, right? Because number one, as we've discussed earlier, that's not a sustainable way to learn. And number two, um, you won't ever get to the point where you can be creative and actually create your own strategies and moves if all you're doing is parroting what other people have already done before you. Yeah. For some of the for some of our listeners, maybe you've listened to recent uh, a podcast with Josh Hanger and and Keenan Cornelius. Of course, like two really amazing jiu-jitsu competitors, black belts, uh, un, uh, coming out of Atos in San Diego, although Keenan did just uh, create his, he's starting his own school now. Um, but in one of their most recent podcasts, they were discussing how um, there's different schools of thought and how you should train jiu-jitsu. For example, there's the uh, like Atos and, and Alliance. They're more sequence and technique based schools where you can tell that uh they sort of use they they have really amazing techniques, but they don't teach a lot of concepts necessarily. It's more about getting really good at sequences, getting really good at understanding your opponent's defenses, and then uh, and of course you know doing a lot of steroids. <laughs> and, then, and then you're gonna have guys like uh, like the Danaher Death Squad, which are very scientific and conceptual in their approach, very system based. And this is sort of the approach that uh, Rob Bernacki it's almost a carbon copy of, of what those guys are doing. Um, is one better than the other? That's going to depend on who you're asking. I think there's a great place for both schools of thought. I used mm-hmm. to, I, I, when I first started learning under Rob, I thought that that was the best way to go. But now the more that I uh, study more and more videos and techniques and, and, and learning styles, I realize that there's definitely a place for that old school mentality where you're learning sequences, you're learning, um, you know, moves essentially. And, and, uh, the, I think the best style is going to be a hybrid between both. So, and, and it might be an interesting topic to have one day to, to just discuss about different perspectives of learning jujitsu. There's schools that purely run on conceptual approaches, uh, like mo- pretty much Rob's, right? And then there's going to be more older, stu- older school clubs that that really focus on um moves and techniques and you know you you just get really good at what you're good at and then that's all you do right so um i don't know it's it's interesting i think uh the best thing to do is is to take what works for you and to try and take a little bit from everyone and then sort of throw your own spin on it and that's kind of how i approach martial arts yeah that's the old uh Uh, you know the bruce lee quote right about how you know basically take uh, absorb what is useful discard what is not and add what is uniquely your own right you know at the end of the day it's all knowledge right and 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 you know just like we talk about you can learn anything from anyone right like i I very frequently have blue 
blue belts and even a few of my white belts come in because they're actually sometimes the hungriest people for knowledge. They come in, they say, Hey, I saw, you know, I saw, I saw Keenan do this, or I saw uh, Nikki Ryan do this or whatever. And it's like, Hey, that's really cool. That got, that gets my creative juices flowing. And before I know it, we're, we're, we're onto something big. So I'm not saying that, uh, you know, old school or conceptual styles are better than the other, but definitely everything has its place and it's all relative. Yeah, I, I think that conceptual styles are maybe more modern in a lot of ways. It's kind of a, you know, at least from from what I've seen, a more a more new way of thinking about martial arts, but that doesn't mean it's it's the only way. And, you know, like Matt said, you want to take and learn from as many different sources as you can. And I think in a lot of situations, the right answer is usually somewhere in the middle. You know, yes, it is definitely good to understand conceptual stuff, because if you don't understand the concepts for the reasons we discussed earlier, you know, you're going to, you don't want to rely just on rote memorization. You'll never learn to be creative. You'll never learn to think rationally and reasonably. But on the other hand, at the end of the day, you got to drill something, right? You know, you can't just live inside your own head and just sit there and think conceptually about jujitsu for 10 years and suddenly be amazing you know yeah. at the end of the day you've got to get onto the mats and you've got to drill and you've got to try things and you've got to drill techniques hundreds and hundreds of times until they get right into your muscle memory like so there's kind of the the best of both worlds there, right you need to you need to approach things from the top down thinking strategy and then you need to approach things from the bottom up just get on the mat and do it and then hopefully it meets somewhere in the middle you know I, I remember when we talked about uh, the art of learning one of the things that Josh Waitskin talks about was he calls it making smaller circles because of of course if you're like a tai chi guy you've got to have like fancy cool sounding names for everything but basically what <laughs> like he was push hands yes <laughs> basically what he was talking about though was that um he believes that if you want to really get good at something you've got to drill it like thousands and thousands of times until and not worry so much about the advanced stuff but just understand the fundamentals perfectly and then build on top of that and so like that's kind of the, the <laughs> other end of the candle here from what we're talking about where we're saying that you want to be thinking about things conceptually the best answer is likely to do them both right yeah I, I, a good thing a good example that I like to think of is let's say you know, I'm, I'm drilling a sequence that leads to an arm bar and, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get to my arm bar that I like. I'm gonna get to that, uh, I'm gonna try and go for that finish every time. And, you know, I know my opponent's gonna have a few predictable reactions I'm gonna try and prepare for, but, but if I just look for that arm bar and I'm just thinking about doing the move the way that I was shown and the way I was drilled, uh, the way I was drilling it without thinking about the actual mechanisms and control concepts behind it, I might leave openings in terms of adjusting on the fly. Whereas if I'm learning concepts, I understand what a wedge is. I understand how to immobilize the elbow and shoulder. Then no matter where my opponent goes, in theory, if I know how to apply wedges, I can use those concepts to follow my opponent throughout their defenses and uh, and ideally either finish the armbar or come up on top or in a better position. So definitely you need that sequential old school technique style, but you also need to understand the concepts that that lead to breaking alignment and controlling levers. Yeah, yeah. Something that, you know, used to frustrate me a lot was I would have in my mind a move that I wanted to do and exactly. I would try and do it and it wouldn't work and I couldn't make it happen and I just couldn't do the thing that I wanted. But eventually I realized... A shrimp. Yeah. <laughs> eventually I realized the, the move you intend to do never works. What always winds up working is something that's spun off of that, you know, but if you just have it in your head that this is the move I'm going to do and one way or the other it's going to happen... 
It's not going to happen. <laughs> it's not gonna happen. Yeah. The move you intend to do never works. So you yeah. need to be able to spin off of that and pivot in in mid-fight. Otherwise, yeah. you're just going to get stuck. Right? Like if you if you are hitting arm bars consistently on guys at your gym at like the purple belt level, you're probably better at arm bars than you know. If you if you're just naturally good at arm bars but you don't even you've never heard of like levers, wedges or or alignment or things like that. If you start applying those concepts to your game and really understand what the goal is to those critical control points for those techniques your arm bars are going to go way up so Mm -hmm. it's really important to like you know thinking about breaking your opponent's alignment controlling levers wedges all all those things really add up and make your 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 entire game in every aspect so much more potent uh when you still like you mentioned you know jiu-jitsu is just a game of keeping your alignment while breaking your opponent's alignment if you really look at it that way and you've already got all these awesome techniques in your arsenal your game's going to get better at least 25 percent. that that's what happened to me when i when i when i first started learning this system i was i was i was getting pretty decent at purple belt level and then i finally integrated all these ideas and i was like oh my god like all of a sudden i understand arm bars way more like not only not only can i just do them but i'm understanding why they work and how i can freestyle on the fly Mm -hmm. if my opponent does a weird defense i've never seen before as long as i have my wedges in place and i immobilize their shoulder i can still follow through and finish a lot of the time you know it's funny i mean i I don't train under rob so at the time i wasn't exposed to his alignment framework so i didn't have the same names for this stuff but i kind of came to some of the same conclusions on my own and one day I remember I was I was training and I was just getting frustrated that people kept grabbing me and like pulling me around and I just couldn't get my game off then I thought you know what I wonder what would happen if I just didn't let anyone grab me. <laughs> like, I, just, I just made this mental shift where I thought, what if I just never let anyone grab me? And that, that's basically what Rob calls lever control, right? But it's just like, I kind of realized, well, it's like I'm going for these grips, but I'm not being smart about it. I'm letting the other person grab me. What yeah. if I just didn't let them do that? And as soon as you have that mental breakthrough, it just completely changes everything, right? Yeah, like I, I have a guy on my school. He, he's he's like 250 and he's a beast um, and really good leg locker. When I roll with him before, I, he would he would be on top. He'd be hard to move, but then all of a sudden he would eventually make a mistake. He would go for something and he would break his own alignment going for something. And I I, I was telling him, man, like you got to do less. Like every time that I get the better of you, you're basically sweeping yourself or you're exposing yourself as a lever or you're breaking your own base. And he's like, oh, okay, and then he just stopped going for shit. <laughs> and, and and rolls with him became so much harder. And yeah. and then not only was it harder for me to access levers on his body, but he was able to sort of take a step back and look more at what I was trying to do on him. And he was even more effective in shutting me down and starting to break my alignment. So sometimes like doing less equals a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you know, this is economy of motion, right? It, a lot of the time people try to put in a lot of effort and create a lot of motion to achieve a minimal result, right? This is, you see this a lot with really, really flashy moves and flashy passes where people are like doing backflips and stuff to try to pass. At the end of the day, um, the more space you, the more motion you, you undertake, the more space you're creating and the more opportunities you're giving your opponent. If you ever spar with like a really, really <laughs> old school, high level, like master black belt, one of the things you'll notice is they just don't move that much. It's like, you know, they just, they never give you anything. They don't move. They're not doing crazy stuff. Um, and you know, probably, yes, granted, probably a lot of this is because they're older and they don't want to hurt. <laughs> but, but on the, on the other hand, you know, they probably surely realize that if you can accomplish the same thing, 
thing with, and expend less energy. Yeah. And why would you, you do yeah, that? And put yourself at less risk. Why would you why would you do more than you have to do to achieve an equivalent result, right? Mm-hmm. So um, you know, actually, Matt, something you brought up, you were talking about arm bars, uh, you know, tying this back into the topic du jour, how does the elbow knee connection apply, not when you're defending, but when you're attacking a submission? Yeah. Um, well, we were discussing before the show a few a few examples, and the main one that I could think of was uh, not an arm bar, although arm bar is a good example. We can go into that in a sec, but the, the bow and arrow choke... Um, <clears throat> You know, one of the main main escapes that your opponent's going to do when you apply a bow and arrow choke is they're going to try and almost posture their head, get their head to uh, not they can't really get to the ground because your hips going to be in the way. But if they can if they can kind of look up and get to the ceiling and prevent you from wrapping your arm behind their head and creating a wedge behind their head, uh, they're going to have some more more time to breathe. So uh, in that case, I, a lot of the time it's it's not necessarily. Um, it's not necessarily a knee elbow connection, but it's more of an elbow hip connection. And we've kind of, we were talking about that and, and sort of classifying those under the same thing. Essentially, anytime you join your elbow to your hip or your knee to create, uh, to, to create, I don't know, structure around your yeah, hip, yeah. right? So if you have a, if you have a bow and arrow and you, you get that grip, you wrap your, you know, you're in the finishing position with your grips and then you wrap the choking arm behind the head and close your, your elbow to your hip. Uh, that creates a wedge behind their head that not only solidifies the choke, but it breaks their posture by popping their head forward. And, and, you know, you get a really nice choke that way. That was one example that I could think yeah. of that where, where creating good structure for yourself really will amplify the potency of a submission. Yeah. I think everyone's been probably shown that at some point where when you're going for the bow and arrow choke, the, the choking hand, if you flare your elbow out, it gives your opponent an, an escape hatch, right? Whereas if you keep Poor that structure, elbow, yeah, if you keep that elbow pinched in tight, there's nowhere for them to go. Um, mm-hmm. and, and to your point, Matt, the when we say the elbow-knee connection, this is just kind of like a, a blanket term, but it does not mean that your elbow needs to be physically exactly touching your knee directly. Like, most of the time, that would actually be kind of a weird angle to be at. So, it you don't necessarily need to have your elbow right on your knee. Yeah. You can have your elbow <laughs> on your thigh, you can have your elbow against your hip even, but the goal is you want to close the space between your arms and your legs. You want to deny your opponent access to your torso and you also want to make it hard for them to pull one of your arms and legs away from the rest of your body so when we say the elbow knee connection we're not specifically saying like elbow needs to be touching knee exactly we just mean close that pocket by your hip don't let your opponent take that space and don't let your opponent pull one of your arms or your legs free from the rest of your body that that's what it means so with that in mind with that definition that actually applies to almost every submission right you know if you if you think about it if you're trying to do an arm bar a beginner make a mistake to an arm bar is they've got their (laughs) elbow sticking out to the sides right when you do an arm bar you want to pinch your elbow Elbows in close to your sides. Yeah. Uh, similarly, when you're doing a guillotine, it's just going to say, yeah, a yeah, you don't want to have your elbows flared out. You pinch your elbows in, and that, that's you're basically creating kind of an elbow knee connection. And by creating that strong structure, you don't have to rely on like wrenching back and using a bunch of power. It's just you use the entire power of your body to coil around your opponent. Yeah, and it really it will really break your opponent's alignment to build your own structure. It's kind of one of those funny things where. Um, it, this pattern just keeps showing up in jujitsu. The more that I think about alignment and, and posture structure based, the more I realize that your 
improve structure a lot of the time or sorry your improved alignment a lot of the time equals your opponent's yeah. broken alignment it's and it shows up everywhere yeah. uh with, with with the exception of certain moves like for example the high elbow guillotine you know like if you're going to do an arm uh, a no arm guillotine like marcelo garcia style you would open your elbow to generate more power in that case or in a toehold scenario i mm-hmm. open my elbow to get better rotation yeah. of the foot as a lever but these are very specific situations these are very right? specific and, like but- these rules even though they are uh, rules and very, very consistent, there are going to be exceptions to the rules yeah. where you're going to be able to generate better power by breaking them. So yeah. that's also another thing to think about. Yeah, the, one of the important things to know about rules is that rule, like as they say, rules are made to be broken, right? A rule is a, a lot of the time is a guidepost. Like the, these things we're talking about, <laughs> this is not like the second law of, of thermodynamics. Like you can break this sometimes. There are situations where it makes sense. So you don't want to follow this stuff to the letter. Yeah. The, the example you gave, of the Marcello team, where you're basically doing a high elbow guillotine. Yes, you're pulling your elbow away from your body, but because of the angle you're creating, you're doing more damage to your opponent's structure than yes. you're losing on your own. Yes. So it's it's a trade off, right? And exactly. And the other thing, the other situation there too is because of the angle, you're sticking your elbow out behind your opponent's head in a place where they could never grab it. it like it it's would true. be one thing if you stuck my, if you stuck your arm out in front of me where I can grab it, yeah. but if you extend your hand behind my back I can't do anything back there so mm-hmm. it's a it's a an intelligent logical trade-off to get more power right mm-hmm. so those are situations where it's okay to violate this principle or just do roids and just rip it off it's fine. yeah 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 you can <laughs> you can always substitute for like putting on about you know a, a hundred pounds of genetically engineered muscle like if you just want to get into the lab and then just you know, inject all sorts of weird horse steroids into yourself yeah. um that I, will also work <laughs> i gotta get me some steroids. You, you might die by the time you're 30 but you know that's that's on you right okay so um other things is, that's you know actually it kind of was a surprise to me when I put this together. The elbow knee connection can also help you escape back mount a lot of the time. Uh, this one you have to be a little bit careful about. Yeah, yeah. definitely. But it is it is doable. Like the, the thing with about this is you never want to drop your hands to the point where you can't defend your neck. Yeah, but that's like a crucial rule, right? Yeah, yeah. But but if you can hunch your head down and bring your hands up and keep your elbows intact, you can prevent your opponent from getting their hooks. This is something I, I do a lot. Where if my opponent is trying to jump on my back you know yes i bring my hands up to defend my neck but i keep my elbows down low and as low as i can while keeping my hands up and if i can deny my opponent that space by my hips by making you know using my elbows to block that off if they can't get back hooks on me it's a lot easier for me to spin out of that and land in their guard so and even more important when we're talking about points and whatnot yeah yeah like it's a very important (coughs) strategy because if you do it right you can get out of back mount before your opponent can lock it up and you can just wind up right on top so Mm -hmm. it it is a, it is an option from there. Now it's not the only way to escape back mount, and it may not even be the best, but it works for me. So. Yeah, and I, I know we didn't address the armbar thing. You brought up armbar, so mm-hmm. uh, just real quick, like if you have the spider web position or the armbar position, um, the arm that's like you know you're using an arm to control your opponent's arm, which I'm assuming they're connecting their hands in some way to mm-hmm. prevent the armbar from happening. Uh, j- the elbow positioning. This was a mistake that I made without even thinking, and a lot of guys, you know, a lot of beginners don't even think about the where their elbow should be but you're definitely going to have a stronger control over your opponent's arm
arm that you're attacking with your elbow uh, tethered to your hip. Um, and it's a little bit difficult to picture, but but basically you just don't want to be reaching for their arm. You want to keep your, your elbows close. And um, a reoccurring theme that this has, whether you're on top or bottom, is every time you do a knee elbow connection, your grips actually become much stronger. And this applies yeah. in the gi too. A lot of the time when I'm playing like a spider guard, you know, if you can tether your, your, uh, your arms and your legs together, your grips become way more solid. And this, you know, it doesn't matter if it's the sleeves or collars, buddying up your knees and elbows a lot of the time will actually create really good structure and make your uh, grip seem a lot more, uh, a lot more durable. So it's, it's, you know, it, it, it kind of runs through a lot of different scenarios. Yeah. And the reason being, because if I just stick my arm out and grab you, I'm just using my, basically my wrist and my forearm strength. And your fingers. Yeah. Yeah. But if I can pull my elbow, my, my elbow and knee together, then I have that kinetic chain. I'm using the entire power of my body, not just Mm -hmm. my fingers. So it makes it, you know, that's a very common beginner mistake when relying on grips. And this is where people's fingers get all screwed up is they try to use just their finger strength. You want to use your whole body. Your finger just happens to be the point of contact. Yeah. Yeah. So um, another very, very important situation when it comes to the elbow knee connection is top position. So this is especially <laughs> important when you're attacking open guard. Yeah. You know, I, I find for me, keeping an elbow knee connection is one of the easiest ways to pass someone else's open guard because... Absolutely. Yeah. And or it, at least just not get swept. Exactly. Yeah. Because here, here's why, right? When, when someone is on the bottom in open guard, they're going to be trying to grab one of three things in most cases. They're going to want your lapel, they're going to want your arm, or they're going to want your leg. And if you make the mistake of giving them one of those things, then they can use that leverage to completely off balance and sweep you. So a, a common mistake that people make, for example, is if someone is sitting on the ground and open guard, they'll just like walk right into it upright. And what happens then is the person like wraps up around their leg and they delaheva them or something. And that whole sequence of events happened because you gave them your leg. If for me, when I see someone on, if someone is on the bottom and, you know, they're playing open guard and if I have to walk into their guard, I do it with my elbow and knee together the whole time. I, I don't walk in with my foot, like just my foot, like I'm walking down the street, you know, in a totally casual posture. I, I get small. I keep my back upright and my neck upright, but I get my elbow and my knee together because, you know, we talked about how earlier, if your opponent wants to get leverage on one of your limbs, they have to control two of those three joints. If I can get an elbow knee connection and my opponent runs up and tries to delaheva me, well, maybe yeah, he can get my ankle. But if he can't control my knee, then I'm totally fine. I can just crush him, right? Whereas if I stand upright and he can get my knee, then I have a big, big problem. Yeah, so, then he can enter into like single leg X, exactly. X guard, things like yeah. that. Like even, even we're talking about pretty much specifically elbow knee as in arm and leg structure, but also approaching an open guard. A lot of the time I'll, I'll approach open guards with my knees almost pinched together. Yeah, uh, like the goalie, the goalie. Position. At, yeah, at our, at our school we call it the goalie stance or the mm-hmm. tree stance, where your your feet are actually wider and slightly staggered, but your knees are somewhat pinched together. Uh, it looks really awkward, but you can get a lot of base. And, Mm -hmm. um, of course, you deny your opponent lever access from the knee up. So this makes it very difficult to enter into X guards and Ashigaramis and all types of things. And then from there, you know, because you're entering a guard with good structure and hopefully base and posture, right? That's, we're kind of just assuming that you have good base posture and structure. 
your chances of passing and not getting swept and of course not getting submitted go way up. Yeah, because you can you can walk into their guard and initiate a pass immediately without getting your alignment exposed. Like if you can walk into someone's guard and not get arm dragged or leg dragged or get off balanced, you have a much greater success rate of just going right into a pass. So that's ultimately what you want to be thinking about. And that's why this elbow knee connection matters so much. Um, you know, not only does it prevent leg attacks like De La Hiva, but it also prevents arm drags, you know, if you, if you can keep your elbow tucked in tight, your opponent is going to have a hard time arm dragging you from open guard. Additionally, if you keep your elbow and knee together, you deny them access to your lapel. So if they want to play some sort of like lapel guard, it makes it a lot harder if they can't get that lapel because your elbow and your knee are blocking access. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a side benefit there that goes above and beyond just the human body and into the fact that coincidentally, that's where the lapel would be sitting and you're blocking access to it. Yeah, like almost in inside of any guard, I can't, I can't really think of any guard where I would be inside, uh, or sorry, I'd be inside my opponent's guard and not trying to create knee elbow connection. Yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe in a butterfly guard because your opponent has the inside channel. I don't know if you'd be able to have a knee elbow connection. I, I always, even from butterfly, <clears throat> I always try to. I usually have to like step back and adjust and realign, but it's exactly, it, yeah, you yeah. try and make distance so that they, yeah. but you then know. I try to wedge in a knee elbow connection and then I'm in headquarters and I can live with that. Right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. But, but if you're in headquarters, you, you had to pummel a leg inside. Yeah. Yeah. I, w- I would have had to pummel something. Yeah. Like if the guy's got you in a good butterfly, it's going to be hard to get an elbow knee connection because yeah. his shin is right in your face, yeah. right? But like, imagine you're in a closed guard, you're trying to stand up and now your opponent's like hanging on for dear life and they have to make a, you know, they have to go to like a, a, a star sweep situation or maybe a lumberjack sweep. Um, you know, once you establish your, your posture or whatever, you usually want to create knee elbow connection so that you can't, you know, th- this is how you're going to prevent your opponent from getting arm bars from the guard and, and, a, and a lot of different situations like that. Essentially, you're creating a full shield from your from your uh, your elbow all the way down to your foot. Mm-hmm. And that is going to be really, it's really going to prevent your opponent from accessing levers on your body, which is kind of the name of the game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one other thing, if you, if you, like me, <clears throat> find that, you know, as soon as you stand up in your guard, your opponent tries to lumberjack sweep you, if that's something that happens a lot to you, something to focus on is as soon as you stand up, immediately try to drop down and get your elbows and knees together. Because what will happen is if your opponent then tries to lumberjack you, you can immediately get an elbow elbow knee connection and then just crush them and lock their hips like this to me is the easiest way to block the lumberjack sweep is as soon as you try to stand up focus on getting your elbows and knees together right away because when your opponent releases and opens their legs if you can take that space with an elbow knee connection they're going to have a hard time sweeping you Mm -hmm. cool so um, a good chat today. I think that was really productive. Uh, just to recap everything that we talked about in terms of mental models, the name of the game is alignment, right? Posture, structure, and base. That is the whole objective of jujitsu is to keep your alignment while destroying your opponents. We talked about the core mechanics of jujitsu. So basically, if you want to break someone's alignment, you need a lever in most cases, and you can exploit that through things like wedges and fulcrums. We talked about the, the anatomic hierarchy. So, you know, out of all of the parts of your body, generally you don't want to attack the core directly. The neck is a very, very powerful lever, but when you're talking about the elbow and knee connection, the name of the game is your arms and your legs. We talked about the elbow-knee connection. That's the whole topic of this thing, right? You can create a very powerful frame by bringing those together. We talked about first principles, meaning that, you know, starting from a very, very basic fundamental truth and building up logic around that, which is what we did at the beginning of this episode to define the elbow-knee connection. We talked about micro transitions. <laughs> so always being moving and making space out of little small movements rather than big explosive ones. 
We talked about kinetic chains, meaning um, connecting different limbs together because a connected structure is stronger than a single arm or a leg. We talked about shifting platforms. So if your opponent is trying to settle their weight on top of you, constant small movement, even if you're not expending a lot of energy, prevents them from settling down on top of you in like dried concrete. We talked about principles over techniques. Trying to memorize hundreds and hundreds of techniques is a losing strategy. You want to focus on understanding high-level concepts. We talked about doing what works, meaning not being overly zealous about following things by the book, but being willing to adjust and expose yourself to new ideas and break the rules now and then if it makes sense. We talked about making smaller circles, which is Josh Waitzkin's mental model about drilling things until the fundamental aspects of the move are so ingrained that you understand them intuitively. And we talked about economy of motion, meaning that, you know, if you've got two options to achieve the same thing, the thing that results in less effort and less movement is probably a better bet in most situations. So really good chat. Um, Matt, anything else you wanted to add on the topic of elbow knee connection? Uh, Not on elbow knee connection. I think that was really great chat. I hope you guys liked that uh, conversation. Um, Definitely just wanted to... uh, plug my professor's website bjjconcepts.net of course Robert Naki from Nanaimo Island Top Team Uh, pretty much everything we talk about today is a trickle down effect from his instruction and definitely check out his online academy check out uh, on YouTube he's got lots of great videos it's all conceptual and really amazing stuff that's uh, universal for all body types and athletic abilities so bjjconcepts.net also um one of his students, my good friend, Rory Van Vliet, he has a uh, new uh, sponsor. I believe it's Gold BJJ, but he has a YouTube channel, RVV BJJ, which is, again, all conceptual stuff with some really fantastic uh, videos and breakdowns. <clears throat> and he's just gaining some steam on on uh, on the online scene right now for BJJ. So definitely keep your eye out for him and uh, support him. I don't want him to have to flate men to make money anymore. Look, let, let's be honest, Matt. That's a passion project for him. <laughs> He's going to do it one way or the other. And let's be honest, it, I'm I'm mainly the customer. So. Um, but anyways, all jokes aside, Rory is a fantastic instructor. He's basically like Rob except younger. <laughs> and But basically a carbon copy of Rob and really amazing jujitsu instructor definitely check out rvv bjj and uh, we also mentioned how josh hinger and keenan cornelius have the matt burn podcast i think they've put out four or five episodes now one of one of the most recent ones i listened to was actually a car podcast where they were in uh, keenan's tesla and the car is self-driving and they're just chatting i don't know if i don't even know if that's legal <laughs> uh, i think it'd be pretty hard to justify that if they got into an accident uh doing what were a, you know? oh we were podcast we're doing a podcast in the car the car basically is i didn't even know that cars can do this they can drive themselves so when the car senses that there's a faster route or a a better a better route it changes lanes automatically for you which sounds to me like a a a nightmare in terms of i'm I'm telling you man it's like (laughs) robots are driving they have elbow knee connections like we're screwed you know (laughs) we're we're literally building uh we're building skynet yeah Yeah, it's a skynet so um this is i mean this is actually a really interesting area of research when you're talking about things like artificial intelligence right because as a human being if you're if you get into like a a really bad situation and you've got to swerve off the road, you have to make a snap judgment, right? One way or the other, no one's gonna really blame you for what happens if you have to make a snap judgment like that. But man, the thing about machines is they don't need to make snap judgments. They can weigh everything and make a, an objective decision. So what happens if your Tesla is driving and it's gonna realizes it's gonna get into an accident and it has two choices? It can either 
run you as the driver into a wall and possibly kill you, or it can swerve off the road, which will result in it running over a five-year-old, right? It's like, that's two bad choices. A human being doesn't even have time to think about that. They just do something instinctually, but a machine can think about this stuff. So what happens if a machine makes that decision and chooses, I'm going to choose to kill my owner instead of running over the five-year-old or the other way around, right? Think of the lawsuit potential of something like that, man. It's going to be an interesting next few decades as this kind of stuff blows up. Yeah, or or what if a truck swerves into your lane? Yeah, I mean, like, is the car going to run you off the road or or like what's how does it know what is safer for either party well that's the thing right these machines they have they they think fast enough that they can actually make a decision and weigh the pros and cons and decide who's going to live and who's going to (laughs) die and that's pretty hairy when you think about it it's kind (laughs) of sketchy and uh yeah but but it was a really cool chat and i've been enjoying keenan and and josh's podcast so definitely check them out too but uh Definitely check our podcast yeah. out as well. Yeah, our our, our podcast is, of course, the best. It's uh, the better one. Yeah, yeah. But if, you know, if you're tired of listening to two idiots talk about this stuff and you want to see two idiots actually do it, um, I would suggest looking at some of these other instructionals, particularly um, the instructional that, that Rob did with Stefan Kesting, the BJJ formula. That is one of the best visual examples of things like alignment and the elbow-knee yeah. connection. He talks about it quite extensively there. So if this has been helpful to you and you really want to see it in action, uh, Rob and Rory are probably two of the best places to do that because they're the ones that we've kind of adopted these ideas from. Yeah, and that app, I can't stress enough, is so simple to to learn from. Some some instructionals are, they get kind of, you know, it'll be like, uh, like I have an instructional of Brawlio Esteban and it's, it's amazing. Like there's great stuff in there, but it's literally him with a camera on him no breaks for two hours just showing stuff that he like that he does and it's all it's all really good but it's not it's organized unstructured. Yeah. it's unstructured and uh you know there's no like it's it's if you want little short clips to watch and really be able to take tidbits of of, of conceptual information from that type of instructional i think is not very effective but mm-hmm. whereas rob's is like it's like the longest clip is probably like five minutes, four minutes. It gets right to the point. It's easy to navigate. And there it's all really fantastic stuff. All four apps. There's mm-hmm. the guard app, the top game app, the core concepts app and the back control app. So definitely, um, especially if you're an instructor and all this stuff sounds new to you, you it's almost like you have to get it. You have to get it. It is uh, one of the best resources for jujitsu out there. Definitely check out the BJJ formula. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So, Tying that all up, uh, we've got a really cool question today. So we got a, a question from one of our listeners who is 66 years old. He's, uh, says he's 155 pounds. He's normally giving away, you know, about 40 years and about 50 pounds to most of the people in the school. He's, uh, I believe a purple belt right now. And of course, you know, it just, he's got a lot of wear on his body, right? You know, it's not, just, not actually so much from jujitsu, but just, you know, just life taking a toll as you get older. He's had a, a lot of operations. And so, God. yeah, I know it's, we're all, we're all going to be there, man. Um, the, the alternative is worse if you don't make it that far. That's right. So, <laughs> so what do you, I, I hope I'm training that effectively at that that age, man. That, that's actually really awesome to hear. So his question is, since starting jiu-jitsu, he feels that he has lost both strength and endurance. Not surprising since, um, you know, not only is he getting older, but he also used to work out uh, and do interval training a lot more regularly. Uh, he says he, you know, he normally gasses out um, after only, you know, two to three five-minute rolls during open mat. Honestly, that's pretty good. <laughs> it sounds like Rob. Yeah, I know. That's, that's, <laughs> that's pretty good. If you Honestly, if you can do two to three rounds of five of hard sparring for five 
five, you know, five minutes each. So it's actually not terrible. Um, but he says that, you know, he feels like he needs more strength, especially when dealing with some of the bigger guys. Um, his goals are to keep moving, keep learning and to keep healthy. And he wants to know if we have any suggestions for how to integrate strength and conditioning into jiu-jitsu. Yes. Alignment. <laughs> well, you know, first thing I would say, if, if, if I was to, you know, let's say hypothetically I had a private with this person. He said, okay, I want you to tell me what I need. I, I would immediately start with alignment. That is mm-hmm. pretty much every private I do. I begin by asking, do you know the alignment concept? Because it adds, if you do it correctly, you add so much strength and knowledge to your game just with those concepts. Mm-hmm. So I would definitely say, check out, uh, you know, bjjconcepts.net, check out BJJ mental models, learn about alignment. Um, other than that, in terms of strength and conditioning, um, you know, like uh, I'm not a huge crossfit guy um because i think that sometimes that can wear on the body if you just do crossfit as a sport however doing crossfit to complement jujitsu um and like strength circuit training tabata that type of exercise routines where you're you're really uh pulsing the heart and doing a lot of different exercises are really good for conditioning um if 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 i could say the one piece of equipment that i think is the best for conditioning probably going to be the uh, airdyne bike which is the you know it's it's the it's the bike that has the two handles on it sometimes referred to as the devil's bicycle uh it's it's not a lot of fun but doing interval training on that you will definitely increase your cardio strength and then in terms of strength and uh strength training itself deadlifts and squats would be my I would say the two biggest exercises that you can do that will, um, that will, it will boost the amount of testosterone in your body by recovery. It will make you stronger from the ground all the way to your hands. Definitely do deadlifts and squats. Um, and though, you know, and you know, I would just say if there's someone in the gym who is really into fitness, really into strength and conditioning, uh, seek out that person, see if you can, uh, swap skills or, you know, maybe if, could I do a few lessons with you and in exchange, I'll have something to offer you or whatever it is seek out someone who knows something about strength strength and conditioning i've i've um stopped lifting weights years ago and now i'm just starting to do squats and deadlifts and things like this because uh i've i've recently had some knee injuries so i feel like as a for for preventative measures now i need to be able to keep strength in my knees and and have everything strong so i've been doing squats and deadlifts it's made in just a short few weeks i've noticed a huge difference in my strength so definitely that's something i would recommend awesome awesome Uh, from from my perspective you know to echo matt's point um you know staying in shape is always a positive regardless of what your jujitsu or life goals are it's just something that that you should do um but in terms of like how it actually applies on the mat something to build upon when we talk about alignment one of the reasons why alignment is important and especially why the elbow knee connection is important is because number one um, it reduces the requirement to have a lot of strength it allows you to scale up against bigger opponents much much easier Um, that that is like if you want to be one of those guys who's going in there fighting like guys who get uh, who are 50 to 100 pounds heavier in order to do that you need to rely on systems like alignment you you know you want you want to have strength but you're not going to be able to out wrestle a gorilla so alignment is going to be your best bet the other benefit to alignment is if you can keep your body in alignment you drum 
dramatically reduce the risk of injury. Yeah, absolutely. Most injuries come from like sticking an arm or a leg out and twisting in a stupid angle. Uh, if you are always in alignment and you're mindful of where your neck is, where your arms are and where your legs are, and you never let them get compromised, your risk of injury is going to go down dramatically. So mm-hmm. that, that to me, I, I would say, in addition to the strength and conditioning pointers, that's something that I would always recommend everybody focus on. And I think a lot of injuries come from doing moves that you've never done before. Mm-hmm. Sometimes sometimes if I get injured, it's because I'm going for a takedown that I've never done before. Or I think I can do something that I've never really practiced. So that's that sometimes can lead to injury. But also you should be asking yourself, you know, you, you got these big guys in your gym and it doesn't sound like you're a big guy. It sounds like you're, all, you know, uh, you're, you're in your 60s. You're saying, how can I be stronger? But really, is that the goal that you're trying to achieve? I mean, you'll never be as strong as some of these guys. You'll never be as young as these guys. Um, if you were to be, if you were to just suddenly be a lot stronger, would that solve the problem? It sounds to me like it wouldn't. It sounds to me like it's a, it's a fundamental game conceptually based solution that you're looking for and and that revolves around alignment it revolves around the idea of phases of guard never you know where are you getting messed up are are you constantly having your guard passed at what point in in the phases of guard are you screwing up Is, is it the engagement phase or are you getting flattened out on your back in the half guard and then finally they pass your guard yeah i think i think it's really important that you assess which part uh of the of the of the round or whatever the sequence you're actually failing and then work backwards from there and try and create solutions on there. A lot of the time when people ask me, uh, you know, things like, I I just don't feel strong. I just don't feel like I can go with the stronger guys or whatever. Uh, Basically, never do I say you need to be stronger. Mm -hmm. You know, we are limited to what we have. And sometimes we're not going to be strong and definitely not as strong as the young 200 some odd pound guys in the gym. So that shouldn't even be a goal. It should be more, how can I corral these guys? How can I slow them down? How can I win lever battles and get to dominant angles? And then, you know, if you can get to a great position, like get on someone's back, doesn't really matter how big they are, you're going to be successful. Yeah, there's actually a mental model in the database, uh, asymmetric warfare. And of course, this is, you know, this has applications well above and beyond jujitsu. But basically, the idea is that you never want to attack your opponent to their, at their strength. You want to attack your opponent at their weakness. So a common mistake that everyone, I think, makes at some point is they want to, you know, when a big guy tries to outmuscle them, your innate reaction is to try to fight back strength to strength. And if that's, in a lot of cases, that's a battle you're not going to win you've got to find a way to win intelligently right and alignment is usually the way to do that now that's not to say you don't want to be in good shape you always want to try to keep healthy but at the same time if you want to have a solid strategy you you want to attack people where you're strong and they're weak not the other way around (laughs) that's right just like in any any scenario where i'm a big history guy i love i love studying military history You know, you never want to go into a battle at a disadvantage or even at an equal advantage. You would like to go in when your opponent is weaker or sleeping or it's nighttime and you have the the jump on them. So try and find ways where you can gain these these advantages and then exploit them. Mm -hmm. So and and very rarely is it going to be I need to be stronger. Yeah. Um, But I would I would say if if you're getting injured and you want to prevent injuries, strength training, I've found is actually a a pretty awesome way to keep yourself in check. So um, I used to go with the whole Marcelo thing where, oh, I'm just, I'm just going to keep doing jujitsu and, and that'll be ha- my strength training. That'll be my conditioning. And I, I think that is true to some extent. Uh, time on the mats obviously equals 
you know, better results. But at the same time, as I get older, I realize that my joints are are at the point where I'm still starting to uh, I'm starting to deteriorate a little bit. And it's important to make sure that your joints and and everything, your ligaments are all you know, strong as, as best as you can be and your, you know, your shits in check. So definitely think about a strength training program, uh, squats and deadlifts would be my two main recommendations. Awesome. Well, I, I hope that was a useful episode. Thank you again, everyone for listening. Uh, and of course, as always, any questions, comments, suggestions for future episodes, um, other impressions you want Matt to do, please do chime in. We're always looking <laughs> for feedback and we do appreciate it very much. <laughs> Thanks guys. Take care.